0: Welcome to Little Yo Pod, the all things Yosemite podcast. I'm Laura Jackson. I'm an interpretive guide who has lived and worked in Yosemite since 2004. And I'm here to share some of the features of Yosemite that I have found compelling in my many years living and working there. This podcast is for anyone interested in nature, Yosemite, anyone visiting who has visited or is wishing to visit. So this is the fifth episode of Little Yo Pod, the Little Yosemite podcast. And in the previous four, I was doing um, these kind of, I I hate this term, but the deep dives into specific topics. Uh, So we did giant sequoias and bears and um, winter sports and the firefall Um, And those are great subjects and they certainly do deserve a a lot of a lot of research and the time that um, that I allotted them. But it's come to my attention that 30 minutes might be a bit a bit much for this kind of content. So uh, this I'm going to attempt to sort of shorten these podcasts down a little bit more, make them just a bit easier to digest for everybody. So so this episode is um, uh, sort of the, my first attempt at that new format. It will be shorter quite a bit. Um, I'm going to try to maybe have the length of the, of the uh, episodes, about 15 minutes or so. Um, and it's different in another way in that this one is not one that I formally researched and prepared like I did the other four. Um, believe it or not, it takes about... 15 hours of work to put a, one of those podcasts out, <laughs> especially being new to this myself. So uh, it's it's quite a bit, it's quite a chunk of time. Um, so I I got a little bit uh, bogged down doing that work every week. So um, even when I made it bi-weekly. Um, so I gave myself a little bit of a break on that this week. And, and I decided just to bring... Um, to bring you a story instead and it's a story about what I do in my job and my work and um, I don't know kind of the the process that goes into it uh, and what you're getting when you come on an interpretive program when you come to the national parks so interpretive guides um, they we they are Different entities, different entities, different groups that have interpretive guides. And one of that, one of those, is the National Park Service. And then one of those is the concession in the park uh, that I, who I work for. And then there are uh, private companies or private um, organizations that also have interpretive guides. So. Any of the programs you go on are going to be great because what all interpretive guides have in common is that they have a passion for their landscape, for their home, and for the content that they're bringing to the public. So I can't speak for the other organizations, but in mine, we do a lot of studying and it's a lot of self-study. So there's a lot of office work and researching topics and writing, um, basically we're, we're writing like these sort of sort of scientific papers, but that we can also present to the public. So another aspect is that we are public speakers and, um, you know, we're interpreters. So we're trying to bring this content to people in ways that, that they can relate to and that they can understand. It can get a, it can get a bit heavy, and um, there's a lot of content and information. It's kind of hard to sift through all of it without someone guiding you through that. So that's what we do. We we interpret this information and make it accessible for everyone. And the common goal is to. To help people care about these spaces and find something something that they can care about, or something that they have in common with it, or just sort of just connect with it uh, in any way, so that they are encouraged to protect these places for future generations. So that's kind of interpretive guiding in a nutshell. Um, and uh, so it's it's a it's 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 a commitment for sure. Um, you don't just take this job. You know, going into it, maybe this is what you want to be doing. You, you one hundred percent have to know that this is the job for you when you become an interpretive guide, and it's just it's incredibly fulfilling work. Um, being able to bring this content, it's incredibly humbling as well, and I'm grateful every day for the opportunity that I've been given. Um, I love I love interacting with people, and I love um, helping them learn about a place that's so special to me. So, um, here's an example of what what we do as interpreters, and uh, here, this is kind of like a day at the office episode, <laughs> um, although this one's a bit uh, unconventional for us, because most of the time we are we are studying very hard. Um, so, anyway. So at the beginning of last season, uh, we had quite a few new uh, members join our team. And um, so there was a a lot of training that went into that. And the great thing about having so many new people come in was that there were all these different ideas and different perspectives that came with them as well and new curiosities. So I was having a conversation with my my staff one day or uh, members of my staff, and what what tends to happen is we kind of fall into a hole of content. Um, we discover something in the natural world that is just so compelling that we we get really we dive really really far into it, and then it opens up all these other questions and other doors. And like we're trying to find the connections between these natural systems and different species, so. This was in the spring uh, last year. The dogwoods were blooming. And let me explain what a dogwood is. Uh, it's a flowering tree. Uh, pretty pretty low to the ground. They only grow up to, oh, I would guess, like 30 to 40 feet in height. Some some of them do grow taller. But on average, uh, that's what you'll see in Yosemite Valley. They, I mean, they do. They get up to like 50, 70 feet. Probably some of them. But um the ones that we see on the valley floor especially on like the eastern side of the park are a little bit shorter so anyway so uh pacific dogwoods um with these trees they have these beautiful uh broad green leaves and then they have these um flowers that that bloom in the spring as well uh so what you're looking at when you're looking at the the flower of the dogwood tree is these four white um what appear to be petals, and then a big button in the center um, of the flower. But actually, what you're looking at, the white petals are are leaves or their bracts um, that are white uh, to attract pollinators because the flowers are actually all contained in the button, uh, the center of that. Of that formation, so there are actually about twenty to thirty teeny tiny little flowers um, that are contained inside these these white bracts that look like uh, flower petals, but that's actually. Uh, that that's an adaptation of the plant or how it evolved to attract pollinators because pollinators may not necessarily be able to find the tiny tiny flowers so they're attracted to then those big white bracts uh thinking that that's the flower and then they crawl all over the tiny flowers and they they pollinate them that way so it's pretty incredible um but they're just beautiful beautiful plants These, you know in the springtime when they're all flowering it's it's just amazing and they only need about a third of the sunlight as as other flowering plants um, to uh, perform photosynthesis so um, you find them under you know at the under the canopy of the forest Um, so they're in like dark shaded areas and especially in like giant sequoia groves you'll have giant sequoias with pacific dogwoods in front of them and it's just this beautiful contrast of that cinnamon bark and the white flowers it's amazing so If you haven't made a trip to Yosemite in April and May, I highly recommend it so you can see the dogwoods as they're flowering. We were wondering about pollinators for these flowers. Um, They're white. So what that means is that they're pollinated by day and also by night. Um, Because the flowers are white, they're easier to see in the dark. So uh, nocturnal pollinators, insects and um, bats and things like that would... Be, uh, well, they would be attracted to those white flowers. Bats, not necessarily. They're actually going after the insects that are uh, pollinating the dogwoods at night. But we were wondering about what uh, insects would be pollinators for Pacific dogwoods um, at nighttime. So a few members of my staff and I all got together one night and we went out to uh to find some dogwood trees and we got out our our headlamps and um magnifying glasses and we went to look for the pollinators and then specifically we were looking to see if this moth um this very special moth uh was was a pollinator of these flowers we were curious about where the moth laid its eggs um and uh, it's it's the cianothis silk moth she's gorgeous huge moths um about the size of a, a human hand an adult hand um red reddish brown wings and gorgeous detail uh so we went out looking for these moths to see if they were pollinators of of the pacific dogwood and we were uh we we really had no idea what what we were expecting. We weren't even sure if if you know if the silk moths were mating that time of year. But we thought we would just go out and see what we could see in the hope that we would find one of these magical creatures <laughs> dancing around these beautiful white flowers at night. Well, we didn't find any moths. I don't even know if we found a single moth pollinating. The dogwoods, but we made another discovery now this is what happens more often than not in the in the world of science. I would say is you you make a prediction and then you test it, and it's not always what you think it's gonna be uh and I would never call these failures; this is all just education um but you learn something either way, so our our prediction was that we were going to find moths all over these flowers and we found something else entirely. So what we found pollinating the um, Pacific dogwood flowers at night were mosquitoes. And That was the dominant pollinator. And so we were watching these mosquitoes and at first not quite believing what we were seeing uh, as they were sticking their proboscis into the little flowers and appearing to be drinking the nectar. Uh, And in the process, of course, they were pollinating those flowers, getting all that pollen on their bodies and then moving to the next flower. And I don't think any of us realized that mosquitoes could be p- pollinators of course now it makes perfect sense but i can't speak for the other naturalists with me that night i didn't even know that mosquitoes drank nectar <laughs> i suppose i was always under the impression that they just drank blood so <laughs> as as a person that mosquitoes love to bother um, i i that that's just how I that's the only time I've ever seen them was when they were trying to to get a tasty snack out of me so we we went back to the office um, feeling I, I suppose a bit defeated but also a bit curious and then did some research on mosquitoes as pollinators and found out that the male mosquitoes actually the male mosquitoes don't um, don't drink, or they don't take blood I'm sorry they don't drink it but um, they don't take blood that's only the females and they do that so that they have um, for the protein content in the blood that they use um, to feed their eggs or their larva I hope I'm getting this all right (laughs) because I am not an entomologist um, or an entomologist but certainly not an entomologist I just this is all self-study so forgive me if I'm getting anything wrong here Um, but so she uses the blood to provide protein for her, uh, for her eggs. Um, the males, however, they never, um, they never take blood. They are they feed on nectar, and females do as well. So both male and female mosquitoes uh, drink nectar as as nourishment. That's their food. So they are in fact very important pollinators um which gave me a whole new respect for them because when we think of pollinators we think of what bees butterflies you know the the insects that that we like moths um kind of the the prettier of the insects and uh we don't think of beetles or Ants even, ants are also incredibly important pollinators, and uh, certainly not mosquitoes. Um, Very crucial nocturnal pollinators, and not only are they pollinating these plants, but they're attracting bats who also pollinate um, sort of by proxy as well from from chasing after those mosquitoes. They're knocking that pollen around as well. So uh, mosquitoes, it turned out, are, well... more important to a thriving ecosystem than I than I suppose I even realized, um, not just as food for bats, but also as pollinators for some of our nocturnal flowering plants as well. Um, so that was quite a revelation for me, but just a perfect example of of what it means to be a naturalist and. To learn these things on your own um, and then getting to share that content with other people and you can bet that learning about mosquitoes as nocturnal pollinators then opened up all kinds of other doors for us to explore as well we never did find the ceanothus silk moth so i'm still uh still on the lookout for those um and I encourage you to be as well. I suppose if there is a takeaway from this, it would be that um, there are always opportunities to, to learn and to explore and to make new discoveries. And even when you're in this field. Um, something as obvious as learning that a mosquito is a is a pollinator and a pretty important one. Uh, again, it's very humbling and an incredibly rewarding and enriching experience, and uh, just makes it all the more possible for us to bring that great content to people and help them find the smaller appreciations that they may not have realized were there to begin with. So. That's going to do it for this episode of Little Yo Pod. I hope you enjoyed this uh, bite-sized bit of <laughs> some Yosemite uh, fun fact stuff. Um, I uh, I don't have any show notes for this because I didn't formally research this episode, um, so I won't have any links for you. But uh, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can uh, contact me. Actually, email is going to be the best way right now. As I haven't been keeping up with the Instagram or um, Twitter account. So if you have any questions or if you'd like to suggest ideas for topics or if uh, you have corrections to make, I gladly take those as well. You can email me at littleyopod at gmail.com. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. I I hope you enjoyed it. Please let me know and uh, keep coming back for future episodes. And thanks again. Have a beautiful day.